0: Whether you are or know someone who is battling multiple sclerosis, rheumatoid arthritis, type 1 diabetes, scleroderma, lupus, or any of the 24 autoimmune diseases that HSCT can halt, or are simply inspired by transformational journeys, you are in the right place. As we continue to grow the HSCT warrior community, illuminate the invisibilities of autoimmune disease. Recognize the possibilities of a future free from disease progression. Connect through our shared experiences and advocate for an inclusive society. We are glad you've joined us. So welcome. I'm so excited to be talking with Brooke Slick today. She is a celebrity in the blogosphere or the HSCT world anyway.
1: Gosh, Jen.
0: (laughs) That's a lot to live up to. (laughs) Well, we just appreciate you being such a resource for those of us seeking answers. And I'm just so grateful that you agreed to participate in today's podcast.
1: Well, thank you so much for asking me. I think it's an awesome opportunity. And I think you're doing a great thing by providing it to people either looking into HSCP or people who have already had it. Because, you know, it doesn't just stop after you've had it. You know, there's recovery. There's a whole other side of... HSCT afterward that people might be able to gain insight from your podcast.
0: Well, and from you sharing your story. So thank you so much for being here. Absolutely. So when did you receive HSCT?
1: In May of 2013 in Moscow, Russia.
0: Moscow, Russia. So tell us more about how you came to find out about HSCT, particularly going to Russia. Uh,
1: I found out... (laughs) Just accidentally, coincidentally, I always say to myself, or was it really a coincidence um, that I I was just scrolling through Facebook one day and I saw a post from a woman that said, Amy Goes Ninja on MS.
0: Wow. And I'm
1: like, what? And I clicked on it and it was as simple as that. And I start reading about this woman and she's from Texas and she writes so eloquently and um, she really seemed to have, her, you know, her act together, and she had really looked into it. And I'm like, reading, reading, reading. Well, then I started reading, you know, the science behind uh, this treatment, hematopoietic stem cell transplant, HSCT. Mm-hmm. And uh, the more I read, I was like, oh my god, this makes complete sense to me. Right. Um, and I honestly, I had seen. I think it was maybe five years before. I had seen Dr. Burt on, I don't know, one of the major news stations doing an interview of a younger boy. I want to say he was in his teens who had had HSCT. At the time, I didn't recognize it as HSCT or hematopoietic, whatever. This was a kid who had chemo for his MS, and now his MS is gone. Wow. And that sunk into my head. I was like, wait a minute. I think this is the treatment that that, that I saw so many years before, um, because I, I caught, Amy's, caught up with Amy in 2012, which is when she had... Her HSCT in Moscow. She was the first American and the second international patient to have HSCT in Moscow. Wow. Um, yeah. And her blog was the most incredible resource she blogged every single day, no matter what, which was awesome. You really got to see inside, you know, the day to day of the treatment, sure. you know, from the placement of your calf lines to the blood work, following her. Through her entire treatment, contacting her while she was still in Moscow, she—I think she spoke to Dr. Fedorenko about the fact that I was interested. She supplied me with his uh, email address. I sent them all the information, and within a month, I was—I was accepted. It was in December of 2012. I was accepted for April, late April of 2013. Goodness. So simple as that and it was all because of her sharing so of course i wanted to do the same thing and it was still new just hsct in general was right. was not it was you know this tiny little thing i think on the main you know the main hsct forum on facebook i want to say i was like member 200 and something
0: probably yeah it
1: now it's like in the tens of thousands so yeah, so I did the same by sharing mine and it was an easy way for me to communicate with all my family and friends at home as well, you know, because it is, it is a tiring treatment and to be able to just do one blog that serves your family, your friends, people researching HSCT all in one blog post was an efficient use of time and energy while you're there. So
0: isn't that the truth? It was a pleasure to do. <laughs> well, yeah, it gives you that moment to really take time and reflect on well what is happening because you can get so caught up with just the routine of being cared for
1: yes yes like when are they coming in with the next iv drip when are they coming in to take your bloods when are they coming in to take your temperature and to weigh you and you know it's this whole routine every day and it gets a little monotonous but i i was rarely a lot of people stay in bed a lot of the time. I was rarely in bed. I was always at my desk with my laptop, blogging, talking to people because, you know, you're in Moscow, but the people following you are in the the U.S., so that's a different time frame. You might have people following you in Australia. That's a different time frame. So you could be up all night long and there's somebody awake.
0: (laughs) Right, right. Yeah. Yeah. I did the same with my blog. What is your blog address so that we can be sure to tag that in the show notes?
1: Um it's www.msslick.com.
0: MS Slick. I like that. Yep. ms slick. Well, and so what led you to pursue HSCT? What was your diagnosis?
1: I was diagnosed with relapsing remitting MS uh formally in 2006. Even though, just like many of us, we struggled with different symptoms for years before that. But after I was diagnosed in 2006, which was a relief, honestly, and I think it is for for many of us, because you're finally like, okay, now that I know what it is, now I can can tackle this. Yeah. So, of course, I took the normal course that so many of us do. I started with anaseron. It didn't work. Went to Capaxone. It didn't work. Went to... Uh, What did I have? Well, meanwhile, all along, my doctor was trying to get me to go on Ty Savory. And at the time, Ty Savory was like the big mamma jamma. It was relatively new because this was 2006. Um, He wanted me to, to go on that. And I kept saying no because of the risk of PML which is the brain infection that you can get. You can Um, die from. Yes, exactly. It's like I kept, you know, doing that, weighing it back and forth, dead or disabled, dead or disabled. Hmm, I think I'm going to have to take disabled, you know. I have a a young daughter at home. So um, I ended up on, at the time, it was called Zingalimid. It was a study, which is now on the market as Galenia. Right, right. Um, I was in a drug study, uh, that study, where every three months I'd go out to Pittsburgh. I'd spend the entire day running from one appointment, you know, pulmonary, vision, um, MRIs, it, it just an entire day, every three months. That didn't work. It actually, I ended up with a lesion. Like I used to... Say it was the size of a golf ball. It's an oh. exaggeration, but I worked at um, an M- MRI facility, and the coworkers, which a lot were of them were techs, We had a name for that. It was so big, we named it uh, Bobby Jack. <laughs> 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 this lesion that I had. Yeah, the things that you do to try to normalize your disease. Right. <laughs> But um, that failed. So I'm off of that. And, of course, there's my doctor waiting. Okay, you're going to gonna try the Tysabri now? Well, I'm like, how about IVIG? I hear about this thing, IVIG. Can we try that? Well, he tried three different times, was rejected three different times. And this was over, I don't know, over a year of trying to get my insurance to approve IVIG. They wouldn't do it.
0: Oh, goodness. They wouldn't
1: do it. And I really, I didn't want to, but I really didn't want to take Tysabri. Well, then I was like, okay, I'm out of options here. I'm going to have to do something. And of course, my uh, symptoms are getting worse, slowly but surely. And instead of having a relapse and then regaining everything, I, you know, within a certain amount of time, I was having symptoms and the symptoms weren't getting better. I was kind of transitioning into that, you know, moving towards progressive, secondary progressive. Yeah.
0: How did that feel?
1: Um, I don't ask you why. I never, I never really, now, meanwhile, I was working full time the whole time. Of so course. I, I, I was kept distracted by work. I'm a workaholic. I love work. And it it was almost like therapy for me because you kind of get to escape into your work and not think about the fact that you can't feel this, you can't do this, you can't, you know, it kind of distracts from that. Um, I never got to the point, uh, I've always had this knowing that there was something else. And I used to say it to my husband, he he kept saying, well, what, what do you think it is? And I'm like, I don't know what it is. There's something else out there. And it wasn't Tysabri. This was even after Tysabri. Um but I took the Fabri and the thing was, as you know, if you, you have to be tested to see if you're JC virus, negative or positive. Right. And if you're positive, you're, you're at higher risk for getting a PML, this brain infection. I was negative, thank God. So I think to myself, okay, that's a sign. Go ahead. Do it. So I did and, uh, you know, I had a wonderful infusion center crew and it was a really good experience, except for the first time when I passed out. But forget that. Oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> but um, like so many people who take Tysabri, t- they feel incredible right after they get their infusion. And then by the end of the month, when it's time to get their next infusion, they feel like hell. They they just want to die. They can't wait to get their next infusion to feel better again. That was not the case for me. Mine was the complete opposite.
0: Interesting.
1: I would get my infusion and feel like death for three
0: weeks. Yeah, yeah.
1: And that last week before I'm about to get my next infusion, I would finally start feeling like myself again. Like, oh, thank God. I feel so good. I don't have this symptom. I don't have that symptom. I don't, you know, and I don't even mean MS symptom. This was actually some worsening of some MS symptoms and just feeling like kind of like out of body type thing, just like not myself. So then I go back and get the next one and it, it and my MRIs showed stability, my symptomatically I was on a downhill slide. And as we all know now, MRIs and symptoms don't always match up. Correct. They don't always correlate. That's just the way it is because there's activity that can't be seen on MRI, blah, 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 blah. <laughs> right. Well, that was my case. So I finally decided to get off Fabry. And that was the year that I found Amy Peterson. And it was also the year that, after two years of my neurologist saying you really need to go on disability you should really consider at least short-term disability well that was like not gonna happen because working with like my lifeline like that's what I do that's who I am that's, yeah, that's I, you
0: how know. you distract yourself from the disease like you said
1: yes it's like I can't, I can't do that that would be like being retired you know I was only 48 47 and I'm like, no, um, but it, it did. The the failed. I decided I was going to go on short-term disability, take physical therapy. I took physical therapy for three weeks. I'm thinking, okay, let's see what I can do, you know, physically. Forget the drugs. And in the meantime, I found Amy Peterson and started following her. The physical therapy, of course, only worked to a certain degree, and it certainly didn't stop the progression of my MS. It made me a little stronger, gave gave me some more core strength so I could accommodate the avalanche of symptoms that were to come. But, of course, it didn't halt the disease.
0: So tell us about that avalanche. Like, what were these symptoms that were progressively getting worse?
1: For me, foot drop. Foot drop and MS hug, oh, my God, I suffered from MS Mm -hmm. hug for. I think three years before my transplant. And this wasn't sporadic MS hug. This was 24 seven MS hug. It was just better or worse on certain days, but it was always there.
0: That's tough.
1: Have you ever had it?
0: Oh yeah, definitely.
1: I always used to say that it was like having a really strong little monkey jump on the back of you and wrap its arms around you and just, Keep squeezing tighter and tighter and tighter. It didn't matter if you were walking or sitting or you know, and it just wouldn't let up. And the only way that it would let up a little is if you relax, but you can't relax because they're squeezing you. It's just brutal, it's awful, awful yeah, brutal. Ugh. So I haven't had that. I've only had that since transplant when I come down with something, when my body's fighting something, which we all know when you get an infection of any kind. Um, it can, all, all of your symptoms can come flickering back or roaring back or, um, but to not have that. And then when you do get sick and you do start to feel symptoms start to arise, you remember just how bad you were mm, it's, it's right. almost kind of a nice little reminder of how far you've come.
0: Well, yeah. In six years. So yeah. Tell us what has recovery been like for you?
1: Recovery for me, I was about a six when I had my transplant, which I, at that point, the biggest symptom for me is foot drop. Foot drop ruins my life. Yeah. <laughs> and um, I, I still, I do still have it to a certain degree, but the difference between then foot drop and now foot drop is before I literally, it was to the point where I had to drag my leg forward. And I would have to hike my hip up so it would clear the floor. Hiking, hiking, with every single step. So, of course, my hips were all out of alignment. Sure. All kinds of pain and ridiculousness. That's another thing that comes up when I get sick is that my foot will drag as opposed to, don't get me wrong, my foot will graze the floor a little because I do still have a degree of foot drop, but before... The whole leg just wouldn't. I used to call it leg drop because it felt like my whole, I was pulling my whole leg along.
0: Sure. Um, I I had similar experience and more of an ambulation, like I could swing my leg and kind of flop it forward.
1: Yes, exactly. Mm, Exactly. Right there with you. A swing gate. I think that's what they call it. Yes, yes, yes. Swing gate, peg leg, all those fun little terms they have for our bodily dysfunction um but uh
0: (laughs) all we can do is laugh right
1: yes yes and you know it's easier for us to laugh now because our progression has been stopped
0: absolutely but
1: I think that's that's kind of one thing that I think is important for people to know especially people who are now in recovery I hope people don't go And This is one of the biggest gifts that I gave to myself before I went into treatment is to whatever I got is what I got back in the way of reversal or no reversal to just go in with the main goal of halting the disease. Absolutely. To get rid of that dark cloud. That was the best gift I gave to myself through recovery, through the treatment, through everything is what I got Is what I got as long as it halted the disease, which it did. And I think as much as people, yes, we're all going to have this tiny little niggling of, oh, if only I could have this back. If only I could, you know, or gosh, if I could get any, you know, reversal of symptom, which one would it be? Well, of course, for me, it was like it was foot drop for sure, because foot drop adds to imbalance, You know, it's not that you're just off balance because you have MS. It's because your feet aren't functioning properly, which don't allow you to balance correctly. So if the foot drop was gone, my balance would be better. My balance is, I don't know, 50 to 60 percent better than it used to be. But it's not 100 percent. But I'll take it. Right. I'll take it. I'm walking. I'm standing. I'm walking. I'm not running. I'm not skipping. I'm not jumping. Well, I never did that before anyway. And that's the other thing. So many people are like, well, I can't do this anymore. I can't do that anymore. Well, did you really do that that much before? Is it just that that's something you can't do anymore? You know, it's, I can't do a handspring anymore. <laughs> right. And even if I didn't have MS at 55, I just can't do it.
0: Right, um, right. Well, yeah, it's a good perspective, right? Keep it all in perspective.
1: Yes, yes. But no, my the, the recovery, I did seven months, six or seven months of uh Three days a week physical therapy, um, and that was that was a gift. That was incredible because your body has been working incorrectly, posture, gait, all of that for so long. You really have to rewire your, muscul- your musculoskeletal body. Yeah, I mean it all has to be moved back into and it's painful some of it can be very painful because but it makes sense it was painful when you when my legs started when I started getting foot drop and I had to swing the leg you know my upper thigh muscles were always sore so trying to get that all back into alignment is is a is a job
0: well, has got to be done. Right. But our muscles and our the fascia holding the muscles develop memories. Yes. And uh-huh. those memories really want us to be in our old holding patterns, right? Because it's easier yes. for those muscles. And, yes. And we're saying, but no, no, we don't have to be that yeah, way I, anymore.
1: I know. That's I know. the way
0: of disease. And we are free from disease. So yes. let's move forward in life and, and form new holding patterns.
1: Yes, that's that's an excellent way to put it.
0: Well, that's it's, it's my new learning as I am now involved with yoga teacher training, and we just spent all weekend learning about the fascia and, and muscle memory and how our body should be moving, right, and how to support our body in those movements.
1: Yoga. I never did yoga before transplant, and I just, two years ago, two years ago, two or three years ago, embraced yoga, and it is the best, best thing. Oh, my God. It really, like, really it's addictive. is. It feels so good. It's, oh, it's incredible. I highly recommend it for anybody in recovery.
0: Indeed. Indeed. Agreed. So I'm curious, why was it important for you to participate in today's podcast?
1: Well, as always, the same with the blog. The more years hear about HSCT, the better off we are because, indeed, you know, at this point, we cannot rely on the medical community to be shouting from the mountaintops about HSCT. And they're not going to until it's FDA approved. It's as simple as that. That's the way it is in America. You know, they're not going to, for the same reason that they weren't shouting from the mountaintops about Galenia before it was FDA approved, it was only in trials, they can't sell it until it's FDA approved. So that leaves it up to us in our grassroots effort to spread the word. And honestly, even in the last years, seven years, the sharing of it is so impressive by so many people from all the different facilities, Russia, Chicago, Mexico, whether it's a blog, whether it's their own private Facebook group, the sharing is stellar, Agreed. and I, I
0: absolutely love it. It's an amazing community it, to be a part of.
1: Isn't it cool?
0: It's so just, so, it's cool. so cool. Yeah. Well, and you were one but of the leaders of that movement, right?
1: Oh, Amy Peterson was the leader. She'll never say that. She's so humble. But for me, she was the inspiration for me to blog. And it—I had no idea. Honestly, I came back from from Moscow, and people. I had people even say to me, "Oh, I really miss it. every morning I used to get up and have my coffee and my breakfast and read your blog. Oh, wow. I really miss doing that."
0: I'm thinking, really? <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, so do you keep up with the blog or has it kind of ended?
1: It it hasn't ended. It's definitely petered out. I'm I've been revisiting it in the last year um just so people can see what like last year I took a trip to New York City and I shared what that was like. Um, from my point of view using, actually I took two trekking poles, which was a godsend. I usually only use one. I use a trekking pole because a cane, I get can, my, I have spasticity in my right hand. I can't hold a typical cane correctly because you have kind of have to tilt your hand down. Right. Whereas a trekking pole, I can hold really well. And, um, I'm a member of the MS gym. I don't know if you're familiar with it. it's it's a fantastic online resource. yes. And um, one of the things that Trevor Wicken, who is the head of the MS gym, always said was try to use two checking poles because when you only use one, same thing with a cane, it throws your body out of alignment. indeed, because you're still like favoring one side. And it is so true. I was able to move so much more quickly with two trekking poles. Well, I did it all through New York City, and um, I wanted to share. I took pictures of certain things, like steps, and um, just different things that anybody else who's you know on a weekend trip in New York City would think nothing of. We have to think twice um, before we do those kind of things.
0: Or or, I do because I. It's like having interoception, right, or proprioception, trying to figure out where you are in space and how your body needs to move in order to navigate that space, especially in new environments.
1: How crowded is it? How, you know, what the floors are like, you know, is it cobblestone? Is it cement? Is it uneven? Is it? Oh, yeah, all of that. Everybody else just walks. They're like, oh, I'm going to the Empire State Building, whereas we're like, I'm going to the Empire State Building, <laughs> and while I do that, I've got to watch every step I make. <laughs> yes,
0: yes, yes. Well, it's because we're still trying to figure out how not to fall down.
1: Yes, yes. We're, we're our bodies in a constant state of uh, being on guard, fearful of the fall,
0: and, and navigating reality.
1: Yes. Just, yeah. I mean, it's a struggle, but it's all about how you look at the struggle. I feel, you know, for the seven years, I've been um, a member of the Russia Facebook group as well as the other, the main agency group, the veteran group. So I've been observing all of this, the recovery, the before, the during, the after, all this time. And it's interesting. It's so interesting how different people... Navigate their MS, their treatment, their recovery. The, you know, it's just like night and day. The pers- it's all about the perspective, and it's just very interesting to me to see the different perspectives from different individuals. You know, from the Susie Sunshine to the Debbie Downer. How do you navigate? How do you engage with one or the other without offending or? Don't you think it's interesting? I'm sure you've seen
0: all the groups. Oh, yeah.
1: Like, you can spot the Debbie Downer from a mile away, especially when they're researching. You always know beforehand, or I do, I can always tell when somebody's going to have trouble during treatment. I can always tell when somebody's going to have trouble during recovery from the very first time that they start engaging on the groups. I'm like, oh boy, oh boy, they're going to have a rough haul. I would never say that to them, but I I do know, you know, just typically you need to go into this with a good attitude.
0: If you go into it
1: doubting it, that's, I mean, your mind is a powerful thing.
0: So powerful. Even the nurses complimented my positive outlook, right? They noted yes. that I had such a good attitude the whole time I was there because I just, I tried to express gratitude as often as yes. possible just to have the opportunity at the chance to yes. stop. Like, how this lucky disease. are we? Yes. So, We're like the luckiest people alive. So, so fortunate. And so, just expressing gratitude and expecting no more, just like you. Right? Like, as long as it stops this from getting any worse, I can live yeah. with this.
1: And, you know, you, I was looking over the script that you had sent me. Not script. The questions that might come up during right, the interview. Right. And one of them was about... It was something about, basically, what were you... Here, it says, what doubts and reservations did you have? Oh, we can get there. For your-
0: <laughs> we can get there. Yeah, yeah.
1: yeah. You know, I, I really... And I know this is crazy, but I really, really did. I had a a knowing that this is exactly what I was supposed to do. And when I got on that plane to Russia, I felt like I had won a lottery. Like I was going to Russia and I was going to pick up my ticket and I was going to walk back home with it. Thank you very much. So I was as happy as can be. Can you, like, if you were flying to Russia to pick up a million dollars, <laughs> would you be kind of happy about that?
0: Absolutely.
1: I was thrilled. Like, in the whole time I was there, I'm like, oh, yeah, I'm here. Uh-huh.
0: <laughs> right. Well, yeah, you have to keep up with that positive mindset.
1: Yeah. I wasn't there. I wasn't there and saying, oh, I am so mad that I have to get this done. I can't believe this has happened to me. I can't. And trust me, and you know it. Those people are out there.
0: Oh they, they're yeah.
1: disgruntled. They're disgruntled. And I understand MS is a pain. MS is mean and unpredictable. And it doesn't give a damn what you got on going or what your plan was or how much you know, if you just had a kid, doesn't care, you know, that you were gonna go on vacation, just doesn't care. I can see where you can get mad, but you just gotta tackle it. You just got to tackle it and keep keep moving.
0: Right. Because otherwise that negative disease does take. over. Yeah.
1: Like, what's the other choice? Just continue being miserable and knowing that you're not going to get anything out of it. No.
0: Yeah. No, I, I always said I was never going to lay down with the disease. Yeah. Well, I was diagnosed the day before I found out I was pregnant. So I had also another. What? Yeah, I had a you, really. <laughs> you were? I did not know that. Yeah, it was pretty. Uh... Usually
1: it's after, right? Doesn't right. It not it, it very common that after the birth of a child, it, it shows itself?
0: Absolutely. And I had had indications or symptoms for, let's see, at least 12 years before I was diagnosed. and. Wow. The MRI, I think the MRI that diagnosed me was the weekend we conceived, not knowing it. And, uh, February 3rd, I was diagnosed with MS and literally almost 24 hours later, my husband was like, but what if you're pregnant? Because I was like, there's no way we can never, I don't want to bring a child into this body that has this disease because I don't want a chance passing it on because the first question people ask you, you know, well, does anyone in your family have it? And when you ask, like when I asked my neurologist, really, what are the chances of me passing it on? And she said, well, five or 10%. And I'm like, well, that's nothing. Why do they still ask you if somebody right. in your family has it, if, if the chance is only five or ten percent. So anyway, exactly. Yeah, no. As soon as we took the pregnancy tests, sure enough, all three were positive, and uh, I just decided to focus on staying healthy.
1: Now, did you go into a sort? Did you have relief from symptoms
0: while you were pregnant? Oh my gosh, I was. I felt amazing. Yeah, I had amazing and that, that, that's, pregnancy. that's common yep absolutely. Like I didn't really have many flares after I gave birth because I know some people six months or so after giving birth, you right. end up with huge relapse and i right. d- I did not experience relapse truly until I started disease modifying therapy Ugh. but anyway, this is not about me. <laughs> No, no, it's I love it. I love it. Well, it's that whole positive mindset, right? And just even staying distracted, like you were talking about, by staying busy yes. with work and not sitting down with the disease or giving into it, but keeping that positive outlook, even when you're flying to another continent for treatment.
1: Right? Woohoo! Russia so, never on my
0: hit list. <laughs> right. Well, I'm curious. Like once you found her blog and were following. Her journey, Amy's journey in Russia. Did you ever look for HSCT in the states? Was it even an option for you?
1: You know, at the time, I did look. I did look into Chicago, but number one, of course, the price is, was an issue at the time. Exorbitant. At the time, I think he wasn't seeing as many people off trial as he is now. I may be wrong, but I think he he was seeing less people then on a compassionate basis if, if you didn't meet the criteria for the trial, which I completely understand. You have to pick the cream of the crop of the worst or the cream of the crop of MS in order for your results to have the best
0: results. Well, part of that is just adhering to the NIH protocol. Right. So it's not even choosing the candidate that will make your study outcomes look the way you want them to. It's more so how can we select the patients who fit the exact protocol qualifications? Yes. 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 So it's not even Dr. Burt being subjective. It's very much him being objective of who meets the protocol guidelines. Yeah.
1: And I would not likely not have it would have been. A struggle, but I would have had to do some arm twisting, likely, for him to treat me. Sure, now, sure. Did I apply? No, I did not. But I think, personally, I think the main reason I had my after reading Amy's blog, which was like a novel, like every every day I was waking up and reading her stuff as well. Right. Um. I I was already in love with Russia. Like I was in love with the doctors and the nurses and the procedure and the the whole aura of the place I really wanted to go there that's amazing so I didn't even plus I knew how quickly I could get in and it was a fraction of the money you know it was 50,000 instead of 200,000 at the time or and that was just the treatment I don't I I I personally now and this is just my own this is when I was comparing at the time I did not like the idea that you were in and out of the hospital in Chicago, in Russia you check in, you're there in the hospital the whole time, and then you check out. That was appealing to me. One of the reasons was because of I was afraid of disease control. The other one was sure. my mobility. My mobility sucked. Right, like I couldn't be I couldn't be in and out and or like so many people go and they're sightseeing here and there, which I did do. We stayed for an extra week afterward when I had more time and you know who was hepped up on uh
0: All the heroin. steroids, right? <laughs>
1: It's like, who do all sightseeing? But that just appealed to me more. But that was not the deciding factor. That was not a deciding factor at all. I was already in love with what was waiting for me in Moscow. I was 100%, I, I already knew in my heart of hearts that's where I wanted to go. So Chicago wasn't even, forget about the fact that I very likely would not have qualified and the money, I wanted to go to Russia.
0: That's such a great and, commitment, right? And it's so important to feel good about where you're going.
1: Yes. And they, they over-delivered on all the things that I had fallen in love with in Amy's blog, you know, the, the degree of care that you receive there, and just the overall feeling from, because they do. It's a different culture. It really is, and at least medically. You know, their nurses, they do things old school. Like they, they do their IVs old school, you know, just little basic things are old school, but you better believe they do it probably better than anyone. You know, they oh, are yeah. meticulous, absolutely meticulous, and they really take great pride in what they're doing. You can just feel it when they come in the room. It's like, this is their duty, and they it's not like you know a military type duty; it's like a mission it's They really take great pride in their work and you could feel it and the compassion, oh my gosh, you know compassion is international like it it knows no borders, and it's uh, a
0: humanity thing, yeah.
1: They knew you could tell just by the look in their eyes. You're away from your family, what you've gone through, what you, you know, that you're missing your family, that they were very comforting, They just incredible. Dr. Fedorenko, forget about it. He is an angel on earth. Yeah. So I was happy with Moscow.
0: (laughs) Well, it sounds like it. So you mentioned the great compassion and care that you received. How did the nurses, did they tune into the idea that you were blogging every day and that maybe you were missing home? Was there, what was the cost to other people in your life for you to be on another continent for so long?
1: Well, um, I wasn't working at the time. So financially, it wasn't, that didn't affect us. My husband was working at the time. Um, He, my daughter was, Oh, my gosh! How old was she at the time? She was just out of high school. She had just graduated. It really wasn't a hardship emotionally because they wanted their mom and their wife back. You know, sure. they wanted the old brook back if they could get her back, or they at least didn't want her to get any worse. Right. They knew that th- this might not fix me per se um but it was going to stop me from getting any worse than right. I was. So that was a no-brainer. I was very, very lucky. We were – because, you know, the the financial part is a big element um, in the decision-making when it comes to HSCT for so many of us. And I was really, really lucky. We we had decided we were going to use a portion of my husband's 401K, which we didn't want to. It's, you know – That's a big chunk of money, and the $40,000 was just for the treatment. My mother, who was 72 at the time, went with me because my husband would have been back to work. He's a seasonal worker. Um, He works on road crews, and um, that that would have been a financial burden for him not to be able to work. Plus, my mom. You know, she's retired. She she goes with me. Even though you don't need a care in Moscow, it was still early days in Moscow. Sure. And we didn't we didn't know no how much care I would need or not, or how much they provided or not. I'm sure it so was nice to have. Me.
0: Yeah, I'm sure it was nice to have your mom with you.
1: Yes, um, but we had my community came together when they my, when. My husband's friends found out that how we were going to pay for it. They're like, oh, no, you're not going to have to do that. And we're like, what? And they're like, oh, no, we're going to fundraise. But the entire community, I mean the entire community and beyond, the local communities, you know, adjacent communities, friends from 30 years ago. um, And part of this is because I posted about it on my blog and because I just have a, an incredible community. We had a big fundraiser. We had several fundraisers, hoagie sales and things like that. I sold T-shirts. I made $2,000 on my own just from designing a T-shirt and selling it. Nice. Um, but, yeah. But we had a big fundraiser. It was a one-night fundraiser, and it raised $39,000. Wow. And I live in the middle of nowhere.
0: I that live in is country amazing. Country.
1: And that's just that's just what they do here. That's just what they do. We don't live, you know, amongst we don't live on Millionaire Row. or But people dig deep here for a good cause. People dig deep. They find it. They give it. And they they think they don't think twice about it.
0: So, do you have any advice for anyone who's looking or thinking that they'll need to fundraise? Do you have any tips about strategies to take?
1: Well, first of all, you have to. You have to put your ego aside. You have to not be afraid to ask for help, mm. because even though we had all, were already prepared to pay for it ourselves, that was even kind of more awkward taking money when I think, oh no no no, we'll just we can just pay for it. We you know we'll to. To try to get through that, I kept telling myself, if this was me, and that was a friend of mine, and I knew that they were facing this, would I think twice about giving? No, I would not. And it, it would, I would feel so good about being able to give that person you know, $100 or $20 or whatever they needed. So I, I, I did that. I, I turned the table mentally to make it easier for me to handle taking yeah. money from other people.
0: Oh, I love that. That's a great way to shift perspective.
1: You know, because otherwise it would have eaten me alive because people were so gracious and so generous. I mean, we're talking, I had some big donations from people I had not seen in 20 years.
0: People do love to help.
1: Oh, my gosh. So I did. I tried to turn it around, and that's what got me through. Believe it or not, even like I said, me, myself, who... I had so much fatigue at the time, my mobility sucked, um, but I was able to d- design a simple T-shirt, call up the you know local printer, have them printed. Oh, yeah, here's some advice, you know, people sell T-shirts. Everybody wants to sell their H.S.E.T. T-shirt, but they'll sell them for like 25 bucks. I sold mine for ten dollars. Mm. I paid I paid five dollars for them, so I made five dollars a shirt. People try to up their profit margin too much.
0: Yeah, well, and that's right. And then they don't sell.
1: Yes, sell more for less. There you go. Yeah.
0: So, yeah. Well, thank you. And thanks for sharing your journey on your blog. Um, I think your writing has also taken another turn lately, right?
1: Yes, it has. Tell us how you've
0: been spending your time.
1: I have been writing a book. After my trip to New York last year, um, I... I looked around and I was one of the few people out there with a with a cane or a walker. Like I didn't see any of those people. It's like they were hiding. Yes. And I'm thinking, wait a minute, you guys, I'm still disabled. I'm walking with two trekking poles. Like, look, I'm limping all over the place and I am tearing this place up. I was all over that city. Yeah, I used cabs a lot, but once I got to where I was going, I was walking. Right. I was to all the parks. I was walking through Soho like a boss, you know, nice. and loving every minute. And I think, I'm thinking to myself, where are all the disabled people? Like, where, when I say disabled, I don't mean, I mean, where are all the people with canes? Where are the people with walkers? Where are the they, they weren't, they weren't out in a city of tens of millions of people. And I think a lot of it has to do with fear. Uh, people were so accommodating, but anyway, it inspired me to it inspired me to share with people that I think that the biggest reason we're not living our best life with MS/ disability, especially when it comes to mobility, is because of fear and the way that we lo- we so. Oh, programmed after a certain amount of time that we can't do this anymore. We can't do that anymore. No, I'd rather not. I'll just stay home. You go without me. Um, and I I did it and it was the most freeing thing. It completely changed. Not that I was, I, I was never somebody to sit at home anyway, But you do, you know, you'll you'll turn things down because you think, oh, God, there'll probably be X amount of steps or so far walking, blah, blah, blah. But I want people to. Plus, the other thing is, I'm pretty positive all the time when it comes to I always find the bright side to something. Sure.
0: Sounds like it.
1: I, I want people to think differently about their disability. I want people to free themselves from their own thoughts. So I'm working on a book. It's called "Does This Cane Make My Butt Look Big?" Love it. The subtitle subtitle right now I'm going I'm wavering on the subtitle. Um, The subtitle was was originally "27 Thought Hacks for Tackling uh, Vanity, Self Worth, and uh, Disability." Vanity, self worth, and disability in a woman's world. It's it's for women. It doesn't mean that men can't get something from it because there'll be things in there about. You know, intimacy and partners and things like that. Sure, everything—it's about twenty-seven different areas, pain points, you know, obstacles that we mentally face when living with disability, and how to look at each of those differently. And. I've been sharing here and there. I've been sharing with people that I know are my target market, um, and it seems to resonate with a lot of them, and I'm looking forward to doing that. I mean, I'm not trying to change the world, but if I can change – I don't care if I – you know, I know it's so cliché, but if I can change one person's mind about it and they can change another person's mind about it and hopefully there will be a ripple effect, I just want people – You know, people might think, oh, she's so happy. She must not be that disabled. Trust me, I am. (laughs) Right,
0: right. right. Yeah, but it's easier to stay on the sunny side.
1: Yeah, it's just you have to just do it. Even if you don't want to do it, whatever the thing is, try it. Just once. Just, I mean, I hadn't been, I lived in New York City for 10 years. I hadn't been back for almost 30 years. And of course, after I got MS, I'm thinking, oh, my God, when am I ever going to be able to do that? Well, Dr. Fedorenko's assistant, Anastasia, was coming to New York, and she sent me a message. She said, I'm coming to New York. I'd love to meet you. And I'm like, oh, my God. Well, I had never wow, met her. yeah. Well, I was like, okay, Brooke, this is this is your time. You've got to do it. And I ended up meeting up with a stem cell sister from Moscow, Snezhana, and Anastasia was staying with her, so we all met up in New York. and. It just so turns out I had a day to myself because they were going on a photo shoot that I wouldn't have been able to go to. It would have been hot and miserable. And so I spent the entire day going from one end of the city to the other by myself, and it was the most liberating, fantastic adventure ever. And I want everybody else to have that same feeling that I did after, you know, I went to Chelsea Market, which is a madhouse, by myself went all over the place, had lunch, looked in shops. You know, I want people to have that feeling. So Thank just you. like Selma Blair, oh, my gosh. Amazing. Her walking on that red carpet or whatever carpet, the Vanity Vanu- Fair carpet, in that dress with that cane and standing there and posing, that feeling that she had when she was standing there, I want everyone to have the balls that she did to do that.
0: Yeah, and it's such... A brave thing, right? Mm-hmm. To be in the face, in the limelight like that, and in the spotlight yes. like that.
1: So that's that's what I that's what I want for people. I want them to have the guts to just do it,
0: Oh, no thank matter you. how
1: awkward. It's empowering. That's what I
0: want. Yeah. Well, thanks for shining that light on the situation and the motivation, right? To help people find that courage and bravery.
1: That's what it's all
0: about. Well, it sounds like you have gained a superpower from your experience with HSCT. Could you name one? Yeah.
1: Um, I'll tell you, I, I know it doesn't sound like a superpower, but for me, somebody who's always been a complete and total control freak, <laughs> <laughs> who likes to plan and everything has to be just so and a place for everything and everything in its place, who gets hit with an unpredictable disease. My biggest superpower, because I thought about this before the interview, patience. And you think patience?
0: Oh, that's oh, powerful. Me.
1: That's huge, huge, huge. Patience and surrender.
0: Beautiful. is
1: giving up control. Yeah. When you walk in the doors of that hospital, you give it up. Give it up. Leave the pride at the door. Leave that I'm in control of this at the door. Leave it all at the door and just let go and let it happen.
0: That is so, so important.
1: Patience and surrender are my superpowers.
0: That is beautiful. (laughs) Thank you for sharing those. Oh, thanks for asking. Well, so could you recommend any resources for anyone looking to go to Russia?
1: Well, the biggest resource, honestly, and I don't just say this because I'm an admin, it's just a fact, is the Russia, the HSCT Facebook group. That's the most comprehensive Online, at least social media group. Now, the the website which they've recently revamped the website that's created by the hospital itself, which is now in all English, is www.msclerosis.com. Msclerosis.com. It's incredible. They've done so much work on it. The applications on there, all the steps. It shows the percentages. In potential percentages of success, depending on whether you have PPMS, relapsing remitting, secondary, um, aggressive, um, it shows the inclusion criteria, the exclusion criteria. It's very comprehensive. It's very super comprehensive.
0: important resources. Yeah,
1: yeah. Those two. If you had nothing else, you could get to Russia. You could apply tomorrow. You could get everything you need to know and apply tomorrow. And on the Facebook group, of course, you have people who can provide information. You know, veterans, and it's it's interesting the relationships and the groups that come out of that group. Who are they? All plan on going together.
0: Oh, that's cool. Mm-hmm. So maybe offer us a little inspiration. What was your most memorable experience when you were in Russia?
1: Um, the care. The people, Dr. Federenko himself and his staff were the. It was a. It was an eye opener and a, a, a heartwarming. It was just an incredible experience. They. It, what I say. I always say, oh, the magic of Piranha, the magic of Piranha. The second you walk in that door, and the second you get to your room, and the, you're, you just feel like you're being held in the arms of safety. You know, you're cradled in care you know emotionally physically you it's like being a child and knowing that you're safe in your parents arms type thing Um, so for me that was the most eye-opening experience the incredible experience of of, uh, Moscow and its staff and Dr. Fedorenko
0: what a beautiful image that's thank you for sharing that so what are you grateful for? Is there anything that you're grateful for about your experience that has gone unspoken?
1: I think the connections that I've made with people all over the world, that's something that I don't think I ever would have expected. You know, I here I am, I'm just following this Texan, you know, and I went with, uh, I was there at the same time with my friends Tammy and Jeff, um, who, Jeff at the time was from Hawaii, and Tammy is from the state of Washington, you know, but we're, we're still three Americans, you know, going to Moscow. Um, but it blew up into so much more than that. And now, you know, I have friends, tons of friends from Australia or England or, you know, the Netherlands or Egypt or the incredible connections with mothers of patients and patients themselves and potential patients and recovering patients, you know, that I'm in contact with all the time and counseling them with different things and providing advice. And I never, ever, that was never part of the plan. And it was an unexpected gift for sure. So I am very grateful for the connections that I have made with the wonderful people all
0: over the world and I'm, being able to help them. Yeah. And I am so grateful to make the connection with you. you are you are a gift thank you for listening and for supporting the cause and for being a resource for others out there either seeking treatment in russia or um, just being a part of the community online Is it's such a valuable thing to know you and connect with you and just for you to share your story here on the podcast thank you well
1: thanks so much for having me you have a great day
0: take care thanks so much Bye. bye bye Be sure to visit our website, hsctwarriorspodcast.com, where you can find notes from today's episode, submit ideas or feedback, and access the latest HSCT research and resources. Special thanks to musical genius Bill Alitzhauser for sharing his superpowers to create the soundtrack, edit, and produce the audio to make this podcast possible. You can find us both when you subscribe on SoundCloud, iTunes, or wherever you find your podcasts. Take a moment to leave a review because your feedback will help to develop even better episodes, and your ratings will help other people find the show. Tune in next Wednesday for a brand new episode highlighting another HSCT warrior. Until then be a snowflake, and embrace your superpowers. Be kind, be well.